The T20 World Cup is coming to our shores in 2020 with the best of the best striving for the ultimate glory. Before that all kicks off, let's join Mel Jones as she chats to cricket royalty on road to the T20 World Cup. This week on Road to the T20 World Cup, we have yet another national captain. And if anyone knows anything about the pressure of your captaincy and training in a sold-out World Cup final, England captain, Heather Knight. Heather Knight, OBE, the times have changed. If I'm ringing you from Melbourne at 8am in the morning and you're in Spain on camp, did you ever think you'd be travelling internationally to do a camp for England? Um, certainly not to Spain, I don't think. Um, <laughs> no, I think it is a, a bit of a sign of how things have changed. Um, obviously, preparation for the T20 World Cup in Australia, that's part of that being over here, um, being on grass wickets and obviously not having to go back indoors at Loughborough, having been out uh, playing with England um, in Malaysia before Christmas. So, yeah, it's nice. Um, took me a little bit of time to, to get used to the time zones. I think I've got it wrong with you a couple yeah, of times. Just a little bit, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Run us some. Um... Math is my strong subject at school. <laughs> well, that, that's an interesting one because you know, having known you, and also we've had Isha Gua on the on the podcast as well. You're two geeks in a pod, I think. You you are a little bit of a, a study nerd, aren't you? <laughs> Sounds a bit detrimental when you just started. No, it's it's a... <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I think Isha's a bit of a bigger nerd than me. Um, she spent a lot of time in a laboratory counting neurons. <laughs> Uh, which I didn't do, luckily. But, um, yeah, I did a science degree at university. I did biomedical science and physiology uh, down at Cardiff. Uh, but, luckily, cricket found me, and I've, I've left my um, poor science days behind, and uh, I don't think you'll be seeing me in a lab coat anytime soon. <laughs> um, definitely not when I finish cricket, anyway. So you wouldn't go back to it once um, cricket's done and dusted? I don't think so. Um, I'll never say never, but, um, no, it was more sort of... I enjoyed, I enjoyed studying. I enjoyed learning. I enjoyed um, science at school and stuff, and, and wanted a chance to to go to university and experience that side of life. Um, and yeah, I'm really really glad I went. I'm not sure I remember anything of what I learned at uni, um, but but luckily cricket took over. I, I timed it pretty much perfectly in the end. So I sort of came out of university. I wasn't really sure what I was going to do, how I was going to earn money. Obviously, cricket wasn't professional at that stage and very much semi-professional and um, just trying to sort of find my way and then a year later the contracts came in and um, I was able to experience kind of the rounded life of going to university and um, doing things that way but then obviously straight into being a professional cricketer. Do you think that that's going to be a value add for you? I think things will probably change won't it within the within the game with players becoming more and more professional and and whether and not they then choose to have a university degree. Do you think that's been a value add to your life, though? Definitely. Um, a few of the girls are sort of similar age to me and did similar things and went to university. And we always say we, we found ourselves quite lucky that we managed to experience that and have a bit more of a, a rounded life before cricket uh, took over. There's obviously downsides to that. We were sort of cramming in our training um, late at night or early in the morning. Yeah. Um, and it, it wasn't always easy, but... Um, I think for me, definitely, it's given me a lot more perspective on life and it's made me sort of create friendships outside of cricket as well and the things that I really value. Um, 
when sort of tours finish, I, I get to go go and spend time with friends that I've made at uni and um, get away from the game a little bit more. Um, I guess there's, there's girls now coming into the side, um, but it's a bit more tricky for them to do that. You, yeah. you sort of come straight in. Sophie Eccleston, for example, straight from school, um, got a professional contract, and that's all she's kind of ever known. Um, and, and obviously there's challenges with that. There's, there's great things as well. Um, I mean, she's got to have one of the best jobs in the world um, straight out of school, and I'm pretty sure she didn't like school very much. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> how in, how yeah, important is it? Me, I've, I've always found it a good thing. Yeah, how important is it? Do you think for for players who are coming in now, like a Sophie Eccleston, to find that little bit of space away from cricket? Because as we we play more and more, and there's there's probably still more training than there is playing at the moment, unfortunately, but. How important, particularly you as a captain, and we're going to speak quite a bit about leadership today, to um, to speak to your players and people coming through the system to say, um, you know, don't be afraid to, to put your hand up and say, I need a little bit of time away. I've, you know, I've got to go with my own friends away from cricket or find a bit of a holiday or just do a hobby. I think it's really important. I think, um, I think we've seen a rise in, in people sort of coming out with mental health issues and, and being um, open about the, the struggles. And I think... Cricket's a game, I think, that um, people are able to be open, but I think it's a game that potentially um, is so time-consuming and you spend so much of your time um, focusing on cricket and it can be a very brutal sport as well. So I think it's so important um, for players now and with, with the sport going sort of all year round, we're away so much that the players have other things in their lives and they're able to sort of switch off and get away from the game and, and kind of realise... Um, where cricket stands in the world as well and, and have that perspective. Um, I think you, you do find yourself in, in a bubble sometimes with cricket and it's quite a tight-knit community and you're on tour all the time and you you don't get to, to experience normal life too often. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I always encourage the young girls to, to go and see the countries that we visit. Um can be quite easy to, to sit and even watch Netflix, but we get to go to these <laughs> amazing places and and very different places as well. So I was trying to get some of the girls out if I can, and, and I love exploring those places. And, um, yeah, I'm always keen to, to get people to um, become more rounded individuals, I think, because I, I think for me, personally, I, I probably early in my career, I took cricket a little bit too seriously. And once I, I sort of had a few more things in my life and, and was a bit more uh, sort of rounded as an individual, it helped my game on the pitch and um, made me enjoy it a lot more, definitely. You mentioned the word brutal, and I think I understand where you're coming from, but I'd, I'd like to explore that a little bit more for the people that aren't in that bubble as, as you speak about. What, when you say cricket can be a brutal game, what do you mean? Well, you can sort of stand in the field all day, go to bat, sneak off first ball, and you're back in the changing room to watch again. Um, and fielding's never been the, the most enjoyable for me. I, I do like it, but it's, it's never been the, the sort of main draw of the game um, so if you stand all day fielding and then miss out with a bat yeah. and have to go and watch all day I'm not I'm not the greatest watcher <laughs> of cricket um, Are you not? So yeah that's uh, no not really I'd much rather be out there sort of influencing the game I, I do like watching it sort of on telly and I'm a bit of a cricket badger in that sense but if I have to sort of sit and watch after getting out um, I, I generally don't enjoy it that much and in, in sort of big games as well I'm definitely more calm being in the middle, being able to control things. Um, probably the, the worst I've ever been is watching that um, semi-final in 2017 at Bristol against South Africa, um, where I'd put a full toss down square leg straight and 
sort of had to, to watch us try and scrape over the line to, to make yeah. that World Cup final. Um, we're going to get back to 2017 semi-final because I want to sort of go through year by year since you've come in as, as captain of the England side to, to talk all things leadership. I, before we get there, though, um, I know at some stage during this podcast I'm going to call you Trev. Um, can you just explain to everyone why you got that nickname? Uh, it's not a particularly interesting story, I'm afraid. I, I feel like I should, should make up one <laughs> a, a bit more interesting. But um, I was sort of a, a young, shy uh, 14-year-old that turned up at a... South England under-19 camp, um, sort of petrified of everyone, and um, I introduced myself, and someone thought I'd said, uh, hi, my name's Trevor, rather than Heather, so <laughs> it just kind of stuck, really, and, and then um, I've, I've been known as, as Trev throughout my career. <laughs> Uh, no, that's not bad. I, I don't mind it. Um, you, you mentioned when you rocked up to this camp that you were shy, um, you were young. When you rocked up there, did was captaincy or leadership, was that ever in your train of thought as a player or did you just love the game and just want to keep playing the game? Um, I, I guess by that age I've had a little bit of experience of, of captaining. Um, first captain experience was uh, captaining the boys' school team, the under-11 team, uh, to victory actually in the, the quick cricket tournament uh, down in Plymouth. Brilliant. Uh, How did the boys handle that? as a captain down at that age. Um, but no, I've never sort of said I want to lead necessarily it's always just sort of um, been, been something that's come across me and, and when I have done that I've really enjoyed it um, so yeah it's never something I've kind of set out to to do at 14 I, I didn't want to be captain of England necessarily I just wanted to play cricket and play the sport I loved and um, sort of take as many people with me I guess as I could so um, I guess there was sort of small Glimpses of leadership then, but um, no, I definitely didn't see myself um, as a shy 14-year-old captain in my country a few years later. How did the uh, Plymouth boys, the 10-year-old, 11-year-old boys, handle you being captain of their team? Uh, well, I think in the in the quick cricket team, not a lot of them played cricket, so um, <laughs> I think maybe I was a natural choice as, as the one that actually played cricket. But um, yeah, I, I captained sort of various age teams growing up. Uh, boys teams predominantly as well and um, the the boys were great they, they just kind of saw me as kind of one of them um, I think when you when you're young and um, playing at that sort of under 11 age you, you just want to play and enjoy the game and I think you don't see the differences in people you just see um, whether they're good at cricket or not or um, whether you get on with them so um, yeah. yeah it was only Sort of when I got to play in men's cricket, that um, I stuck out a bit more like a sore thumb, and um, you started to get the odd, odd comment, especially growing up in a, um, I guess, isolated place um, like the West Country and, and down in Devon. The odd co- comment. Can you uh, elaborate a little bit more? Yeah, definitely. Um, I was trying to think some of the comments that, that I had. Um, I got asked if I did the ironing after we finished playing the game, <laughs> which was quite an amusing one. Um, got called sweetheart quite a lot, um, which which is interesting. But I think the the fact that my team, the, the team that I played in Plimstock, um just saw those things and made them a bit of a joke, really. So once I got called sweetheart by the opposition, um, the Plimstock boys called me sweetheart for the next uh, two months, I think. So, um, <laughs> They just sort of made it normal by taking the piss out of it and sort of saying how how silly it was, and, and they just saw me as, as one of them and, and yeah. didn't have to play. And um, yeah, I guess I was pretty thankful to the the guys that I played with. 
Did you, are you the kind of person to, to bite back initially or would you just sort of suck it all up? Uh, well, I was a, a shy youngster probably, so I, I kind of um, just took it all in and, and yeah. tried to let my, my cricket do the talking, I think. I think that's something that I've always tried to do. Uh, if uh, someone says something, try and prove them wrong and I do it through actions um, rather than words. So, um, yeah, sometimes had a little sort of chuckle at them when I was, I was hitting them around the boundary after they made a comment or two. But, um, yeah, no, I was never one to, to kind of bite back. I was... And probably this has carried on in my career. I've always <laughs> um, probably relished in being sledged, and um, it sort of made me go to another level, I think, and, and try yeah. and prove people wrong. I probably prefer it, to be honest. You're the, um, you're the fifth captain of a, of a national side we've had on um, road to the T20 World Cup. We had Belinda Clark on as our first uh, podcast, then followed by Amy Satterthwaite, uh, Charlotte Edwards, and then Alex Blackwell. When you... Um, when you're sort of probably in the England side, and there was you know potential talk about you as a leadership position. Did you study other other captains at all, or was there something in you that looked at other sports, other leadership roles, and and thought, oh, I, I like the way they do that? I definitely took an interest in it. Um, I always enjoyed the tactical side of the game, and whenever I was watching cricket, I was always thinking sort of tactically and, and what the captain was thinking and. Um, what they were trying to do and things like that. So I've always kind of enjoyed and, and taken an interest in that side of things. Um, and I really enjoy sort of learning about other sports and other cultures and, and leadership stuff. I, I quite enjoy reading books um, to do that side, side of stuff. I, I just find it quite interesting, not necessarily a way to, to take things from it, um, but I, I find it interesting, the dynamics of teams, what motivates people, what... Um, of things teams have done to, to be successful. So, um, yeah, I've always taken an interest in that and enjoyed reading about other leaders, not necessarily um, in cricket, so to speak, um, but all sort of captains and leaders um, in different sports and different fields. What's uh, top of the pile for Heather Knight's book list then in terms of reading? Are you on something at the moment? Yeah, I'm reading... Um, the Barcelona way, which is very good actually. So, um, a lot about Pep Guardiola and um, how he functioned at, at Barcelona and and the sort of um, culture throughout the the organisation down to the, the sort of youth setup and things like that. And it's, it's quite interesting. I'm a big football fan as well. And um, sorry, soccer over there. I don't know if I get that wrong. <laughs> it's all right. Um, it's a global global yeah, podcast, but, so you can go with football. <laughs> Yeah, so that's the one I'm reading at the moment. Um, Culture Code was a very good one that I read recently as well. Uh, are we expecting to see like a Matali Raj type scenario during the um, upcoming T20 World Cup with Heather Knight sitting on the sideline reading <laughs> a book? No, I don't think so. Um, I remember playing for Berkshire years ago, actually, um, and, and Claire Taylor was obviously in the, in the team with, the, with me then. Yeah. And I think I was batting at the time on a sticky wicket and we were about 60 for eight, and I was scrapping, trying to get us to a score. And I looked over at the boundary and saw Claire Taylor reading a book. Um, <laughs> and it, it, yeah, it, it made me a little bit annoyed, to be honest. So, uh, oh, really? yeah, I don't think I'll be doing that <laughs> during a World Cup match. Um, it annoyed me during a, a sort of um, a county game all those years ago. But um, that was Claire, very um studious and, yes. and always wanting to learn but um, no, I don't think you'd catch me catch okay. <laughs> reading uh, whilst I'm on the boundary unless it's the scorecard. 
Um, do you find, we've got three formats in this wonderful game of ours, T20, um, 50 over and Test Match Cricket, you've kept in, in all three. Do you enjoy one over the other? Uh, I, I wouldn't say I, I enjoy one over the other, but they are definitely different mm. in the sort of tempo of your, your captaincy, I think. I think T20 is so frantic and, and for me it's probably one of the most planned um, in terms of my captaincy and, and the the sort of tactics that we go into the game with, that's probably the most planning I do because it's, it's so yeah. frantic and so fast. You obviously have to adapt whilst the game's going on, but um, I find that that's the one where I need to do the most research and, and be sort of very clear on what's going to happen um, in certain situations and, and with bowlers and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, they're very different. Obviously, in a test match, you've got a bit more time to to kind of work things out and um, conditions obviously change and, and situations uh, vary all the time. So it's a bit more sort of time to think and, and same with ODI cricket, sort of in the middle. Um, you've got a bit of time to, to kind of um, work things out, but obviously things can happen quite quickly um, there as well. I want to run through um, just the last few years really because it's been pretty much quite a roller coaster of a ride for you coming in to take the captaincy of England. So we're going to sort of rewind things a little bit back to um, back to 2016. And I think for, for outsiders looking in, it was probably a little bit of a surprise when Charlotte Edwards wasn't selected post the T20 World Cup in India, which um, uh, you, you guys lost the, the semi-final to Australia. She was leading run scorer for England. Um, that transpired and you then came into into that role. Can you just take us back to 2016 and I suppose the, the challenges for you having played underneath Charlotte for, for so long and then taking over the, the England side? Yeah, well, it, it was tough. Um, I think because I was reasonably close to Charlotte as well, I, I knew how tough it was for her and, and sort of how much she would be hurting. Um, and then I guess I, I was sort of thrust into that role. Um, I found out sort of a couple of weeks before the rest of the squad um, I went for a drink with Mike Robinson um, and he sort of said we're going to make a change in the captaincy and, and we want you to take over um, so yeah I had a couple of weeks of trying to keep it to myself which is quite <laughs> quite hard work um, but I think looking back it was the right move for us as a side um, being able to move forward it was obviously very hard on Charlotte sort of how it happened and and um, how she she'd done reasonably well as a player um, before that decision was made. Um, but I think as a side, it it felt like the right one um, and a chance for us to to kind of start a new era a little bit and for, for players to to be able to step forward and um, sort of show they were good enough for international cricket. And I think that World Cup win in, in 2017 um, and the way we built into it and the amount of of different players that contributed to that win really that was the, the sort of hallmark of winning that competition um, so yeah it was it was a, a tough sort of time but um, us as a side we were, we were able to sort of stay in our little bubble and there was there was a lot of noise obviously outside of the group and the press yeah. and things like that that um, had the right decision been made uh, so that was quite a tricky one to kind of manage but the girls were brilliant and, and they handled it very well and, and obviously um we started reasonably well in that, that tour against Pakistan as well. Um, although the first match, uh, we had a little bit of a wobble and, and managed to 
to win it comfortably in the end, but it could have been a little bit of a different story if we'd, we'd kind of lost that first game and the pressure would have increased. So um, we won that first game and then um, it felt like the start of, of something special and a little bit of a new era, which um, yeah was, was lovely to be involved in. Um, great to, to captain the side at the start of, of that sort of um, new cycle, I guess, and yeah. um, being able to shape where the team went and, and where we wanted to go. You mentioned that new era. I mean, Charlotte Edwards, she'd been, she was part of the furniture. She'd been around for, for so long and been such a big role in the, the transition, I guess, from a, a purely amateur game to coming through to the professional era. How important was it for you to to go with a different approach? Did you actually sort of sit down with Mark or yourself and think we need to shift things a little bit to to make, a, I suppose, a line in the sand of, of sorts to say that this is a new era and it will be a new era underneath Heather Knight? Uh, not, not necessarily. We we had lots of conversations about where we wanted the team to go, and um, I always wanted to to try and lead the team in my own sort of way. Me, me and Charlotte um, are very similar in some respects, but also very different um, as well in, in how we approach some things. And, and obviously, yeah. she's an absolute legend of the game, and the, the girls knew no one else was captain. Um, so I sort of just wanted to do it in, in my way, and yeah. I was always going to be. Com- Paired to Charlotte, I think that's that's sort of natural. Um, You're a lot faster than her. A bit more sort of behind the behind the scenes sort of captain and um, wanting to to work on an individual basis with players and build those relationships to to be able to know how to get the best out of um, the girls and things like that. So um, yeah, and when you when you start your captaincy period, you you're trying to find your feet a little bit because you you never yeah. know how. You're kind of going to do it until you until you're thrust into that. And um, for me, I've always tried to to add to my captaincy game as, as much as I have had my sort of batting and, and fielding game. So um, yeah, I feel like I'm trying to develop all the time, and um, you always learn as captain. And sometimes getting things wrong, but, but hopefully, um, as I've developed into it, I get less things wrong and, and hopefully get more things right. It was a really quick turnaround. You, you get the captaincy, so. And the T20 2016 World Cup was um, was early 2016. You've got a, a home World Cup in 2017. I want to start with the build-up to that World Cup and I guess the, the weight of expectation as well. You had the, the key Super League had created a, a new profile for, for the women's game. I think like here in Australia, there was a whole new momentum around just women's sport in, in general in England, off, probably off the back of 2012 London Olympics. So there's all these other factors sort of building up to, to this World Cup. And, and I think, you know, the, the other sort of the goal was to, to make it through to the final at Lords to try and pack it out. But all of a sudden, you've, you've got to play game by game. How was, the, how was it at least the start and the build up? And you, you spoke about the white noise and that sense of expectation for you. Well, yeah, it was a, a bit of a weird build up for me individually. I actually um got a stress matcher a couple of months before the World Cup. So um at one point I thought I might miss out. I was in a moon boot um for a little bit and um that was quite probably individual stressful time but in terms of sorry, Heather, how how close and, were you to to not playing that World Cup? Uh not too far away. So I only played my first game back was uh, one of the warm-up games, so I missed one of the warm-up games because we had to be quite sort of careful in my loads and stuff. But yeah. Um, yeah, there was one point where I thought, when I first found out that I was going to be missing the World Cup, um, but luckily we got it quite early and 
were able to to manage it. Um, although obviously I hadn't had the cricket that I'd wanted to lead me into the World Cup, and before I got that stress fracture, we just had a camp in um, Abu Dhabi, um, and I'd been playing brilliantly, felt in really good nick, felt really ready, and then suddenly the stress fracture hit, and um, it kind of put me back a bit, and it took me a little bit of time to to get that form back actually, and, and find that freedom again. So when I did come back, I was I was quite tense and. Uh, with my batting, I, I just couldn't get the flow back as well, so that injury sort of knocked me off a little bit. But um, I managed to find a little bit of rhythm just before the tournament, um, which was great, and, and then managed to to get away well as the tournament started. Um, but yeah, luckily I wasn't. Um, it was a tournament I could be involved in because obviously it went on to be very special. Yeah, it was there. How much planning was put around the potential that someone else would have had to have stepped up, and who would that have been? Uh, it would have been Anya, so she was mm-hmm. vice captain. So I think she was asking me um, pretty much twice a day how I was, um, <laughs> making making sure I was okay and I was going to be there. But um, yeah, I was always going to play in it. Um, I think once we we kind of realised it wasn't too bad an injury, um, so yeah, there was there was no chance that I was going to going to miss it to a sort of niggly foot. So I was going to make sure I was out there um, having a once in a career chance to, to lead a team in a home World Cup. Yeah. So you get over the, in, well, not completely over the injury, but you're definitely playing, you play the first game, it's India, it's up in Derby, and you lose. I think it was a little bit of a, I think it was probably for the, the commentary team, I think everyone probably tipped you guys from, from memory. Um, how did that transpire? Just walking back into the change rooms, you, you probably, you yourself would have been down from from the loss, but you also had that that role as the captain in terms of managing all these players, some very senior players, some very new players into into the side into their first World Cup. How did you manage that? Well, yeah, it was obviously um, not ideal losing that first game, and I remember me and Robert had a quick chat before we went in the dressing room, sort of how we're going to play this sort of thing. Um, we both agreed we wanted to be quite positive. Um, I think that was both of our personalities yeah. but it didn't feel like the end of the world um, for us then uh, we'd actually played brilliantly leading up to the World Cup we'd had all the batters in really good form um, and obviously we we hadn't started very well um, it was a very sort of slow um, spin conducted pitch which obviously yeah. didn't suit us and no. suited <laughs> India very well but it wasn't all doom and gloom to us. I think India weren't given the credit they deserved going into that World Cup they yeah. were a very good team uh, Mandana and came out and played how we know she can consistently now. She she absolutely smoked it and really put us under the pump yeah, early. Yeah. Um, but we had a few sort of good individual performances, I think, that um, kind of gave us a little bit of a carrot to hold on to. And um, to be honest, looking back, I think it was a bit of a blessing in disguise. It, it kind of released the, the tension a little bit. Yeah. For yeah. us as a side, it, it kind of took the pressure off us. Uh, I think there was a, a few tweets. I think Michael Vaughan tweeted, um, it's a given Australia are going to win this World Cup, um, England are rubbish sort of thing. So people had kind of written us off Vaughan-y. a little bit, which um, yep. I don't think wasn't wasn't a bad thing at that point because we were, we were quite a, a sort of inexperienced side. I think we had a, had a, a few very experienced players, sort of Catherine Brunt, Jenny Gunn, um, but the majority hadn't played in prominent roles against the, the best teams in the world. So a little bit inexperienced in, in that sense. Um, yeah. So I think having that sort of underdog tag and losing the, the pressure and the expectation um, actually did us a favour in the end. And 
and then the next game we, we bounced back brilliantly um, in amazing fashion, scored sort of 230 odd against Pakistan and yeah. and then we just went on this crazy run and, and just gained momentum as we went. Have you spoken to Michael Vaughan since? Did you say thanks for the uh, little pep up? Or? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't made, um, I don't remember to anything, tweet, <laughs> controversial tweets very often, so uh, I'm sure it's um, a tiny dot in his memory now. <laughs> There was, um, I think, for looking at uh, England's progression through that World Cup, the, the loss against India sort of stands out for me, and then the the semi final and the final. Was there anything else in between the the loss to India and the semi final to South Africa where you went, we're going to win this World Cup? I think the big one for me was beating Australia at Bristol yeah. in a really tight game. Yes, we defended, game. I think it was about two hundred and ten, two hundred and twenty. Yeah. And we didn't play particularly well, but we we had little sort of glimpses of of um, fighting really hard. We had contributions from different people. Uh, we had different people standing up, um, and we we did the, the sort of little things. The fielding fielded amazingly. Um, we won those sort of real key pressure moments, and that was the moment. Well, I thought actually we were going to win it. Um, it just felt like our World Cup at that point. We played yeah. some really good cricket leading up to that, but to beat Australia in the World Cup, um, I think there was some some sort of start. We hadn't done it in however many years against Australia, so that was quite a nice one to, to kind of tick off. Um, and it felt like we had so many different people contributing and winning us those key little battles. Um, so, yeah, that was the moment that I really thought, yeah, we might win this. Um, we've got a really good shot. Then you go through and you another game at Bristol, so you, you must like it like that ground. You beat South Africa in an absolute nail-biter of a semi-final. Um, you said you're not a great watcher. <laughs> what, was, what was the talk on the <laughs> sideline? Oh, God, it was horrible. So <laughs> I think I had Tammy Beaumont and Sarah Taylor next to me, and their way of kind of dealing with their nerves was to get louder and louder. <laughs> I think they were singing at one point. Singing? And my way is probably to, to try and not talk at all, try and sort of be calm on the outside while I'm obviously feeling um, the heat and the, the pressure inside. And we had Alex Hartley, he was next into bat. Um, and I was just like, mate, get rid of the, as much kit as you can so you can run as fast <laughs> as you can. I don't care if you, you get bruises, get rid of that thigh guard, um, get your small pads on. And you, if you get out there, you're just going to hit it away and just try and get down the other end. Um, as you know, Alex isn't Ronald for no, batting no. and she was kind of very very nervous watching. But um, yeah, it was one of those games that I think it's the most emotional I've probably ever been watching because we knew the big carrot that was on the line and, and how bad it would have been to, to kind of be knocked out in that World Cup semi-final. And um, it's amazing how things could have been so different. Um, and yeah, it was one of bar winning the final, one of my best ever feelings was, was when Anya came down and had done what everyone else had failed to do the rest of the day on that slow wicket and hit it through the yeah. covers before. So, um, yeah, it was brilliant, actually. Our doctor actually um, stacked it. He jumped up and, and fell over in the changing room. Oh, are you kidding? Um, which was quite amusing. We found it on video as well. We uh, added it to the bleepers reel. We had a, a bit of a bleepers reel going on of, of funny things that kind of happened as the the tournament went on. Um, so yeah, it was it was just a brilliant feeling, and 
as soon as I'd sort of come off the pitch from con- congratulating the batters that were out there. Yeah. Our media manager told us that, that Lords was sold out um, and we were obviously going to play in front of a full house, which um, I never thought would ever happen, even though there'd obviously been that big push and I knew it was the ICC and the ECB's big goal to sell yeah. to sell out and fill Lords, um, but I never actually thought it would happen. I've been lucky enough to see you know a, a lot of cricket games in in my career, both playing and and commentating. A lot of World Cup games where you're getting through to those semi-finals and final situation. I can't really think of a game where I've seen such polar opposites of emotions at the end of a game. Um, and I know everyone, when you win and lose, there was always going to be that that excitement and that sort of exceptionally down feeling. But looking at both England and South Africa, the South Africans in absolute tears of, of devastation being so close to a to a World Cup final and then to you guys which was I think it was a, probably a little bit of a mix of relief but also that that understanding that you you had made it through to a World Cup final was there a moment where you actually could empathize with South Africa oh it was definitely relief um from, from my perspective that's for sure but yeah of course um it's the brutal side of sport that we were talking about earlier yeah. the, um, the four runs or two wickets, whatever it was, that, that separated the teams. Um, and it could have been so different. They could have been in, in our position. And, and obviously, for South Africa, they've never been in a World Cup final. As far as I'm aware, I might, might be wrong there. No, but, no, um, no. no, sort of seeing the emotion, you, you see the other side of it. And um, obviously, I've obviously been there a lot as a player and, and been on the side of losing World Cup semi-finals, losing World Cup finals and um, they're not very nice and they're probably for me the, the losses are, are some of the things I remember more than the wins yeah. sometimes yeah. Um, but they're the ones you, you kind of use to, to motivate yourself and the ones you you obviously want to put right next time you play in, in a big event like a World Cup we're going to take a quick break here on Road to the T20 World Cup. We're chatting with Heather Knight, captain of the England side. We're going to chat all things 2017 World Cup final at Lords just after this break. On SEM, this is Road to the T20 World Cup with Mel Jones. England have won an absolute nail-biter against South Africa in Bristol. They then find themselves maybe a little bit surprisingly up against India in the World Cup final in 2017. Was that, well, let me ask you, Heather Knight, was it a surprise that you weren't playing Australia? I guess a little bit. I think you always expect Australia to be there and thereabouts in, in finals. And um, we'd actually travelled down to London and were training in the Lord's Gym whilst the game was going on and um, I think we are all a bit unsure whether to kind of watch <laughs> um, obviously I think we all really wanted to watch we were kind of trying to do our training and trying to act a bit cool like we didn't really care <laughs> who we played but um, obviously we, we had an eye on on the game um, I think I went to the theatre that night actually with a few of the girls and a few of the staff um, obviously that's what you do when you're in London we don't play there that often so um yeah, we, we fancied a night out to, to kind of switch off a little bit from cricket and kind of went into the theatre thinking, oh, the, the Indians are, have done it pretty easy. And I think a few of us 
snooker, sneaky look at our phones. Saw Alex Blackwell going crazy. And yes, yeah. Kind of Australia would make it in the end, but um, I think it was a little bit unexpected. But I think it was the for the game. I think it was the perfect final to have the host there, yeah. and obviously India, the massive cricket nation that they are. Yeah. Um, I think that's what led to such a remarkable sort of worldwide viewing audience for that final. How much did you let yourself dream about the final itself and and winning it, or did you have to sort of put a little bit of a lid on it coming into that day I had to put a little bit of a lid on it I think so I had to make sure we kept everything as, as normal as possible that was a real conscious effort by myself and the coaching staff we wanted to not treat it any differently um, although obviously it is, it is massively differently a home World Cup final at Lords in, in front of 26,000 people it's quite hard to avoid that fact <laughs> it is. we wanted to be as consistent as we could in, in terms of how I went about things the day before and the days leading up to the game. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I, I sort of thought, well, I could be lifting a trophy tomorrow that night before. Yeah. Um, and as a side, we didn't have a clue what to do. We, we kind of undermined where to go for dinner. I think it ended up getting a takeaway and then two of us were going to watch a film and it took us about 40 minutes to decide what film to watch. <laughs> it was so incisive and didn't really know what to do. And then I think we'd pick the longest film there is, uh, Saving Private Ryan. Oh, and wow. I realised it was like half ten and we were only quarter of the way through the film. So we sort of forgot it and, and went to bed and, and tried to get a bit of sleep in, obviously, before the big day. When you get there, you're trying to keep as captain of England everything, you know, same, same, all the preparation the same, warm-ups the same. And then there's a moment at the ground in the lead-up to the game where there was an acknowledgement of Baroness Rachel Hayhoe Flint, who played such a massive role uh, in World Cup cricket uh, for our game, and there was the the minute silence as well. Talk us through that. Yeah, well, I think that's kind of when it hit me uh, when we were lined up to do the anthems, actually, and uh, Rachel's sort of face came on the screen, and uh, Eileen Ash as well, yeah, um, who's the oldest current um, player of male or female person, sorry to have played for England and I'd met Eileen and been to her house a couple of years previously and she was there 108 years old ringing the bell. And she's probably still fitter than some of the other former oh God, players. Yeah, I yeah. with her and she, um, <laughs> she yeah, made me look very inflexible. <laughs> but <laughs> I think that was the moment sort of looking around and realising the enormity of the day really for the sport um, and that's probably when I was most proud and probably one of my most proudest moments in an England shirt, sort of being there, knowing the, the sort of journey the team has been on to, to be there and, and the journey the sport has been on to, to be there at Lords with the, the sellout crowd. And obviously it was uh, quite emotional that Rachel wasn't there, the, the person that fought for, for women to play at Lords to, to have a sellout there uh, for the World Cup final. She would have absolutely loved it. Um, yeah, I was very glad I wasn't opening the batting after <laughs> after that because um, I had to take a few minutes to, to sort of level myself and yeah. obviously get my mind um, focused on the game. So sold out Lords, it was a, and it was a different vibe. Like I've been fortunate enough, um, like you have, to be to, at Lords and, and a lot of cricket grounds around the world have been sold out. But there was, there was just something different about it. And I think a little bit would be because of the, the probably – the split between males and females at the ground, so the sound was different. It was just that slightly higher pitched, I guess. Um, but there was just that sense of anticipation throughout the majority of the game, and then it just 
seriously ramped up. I think when the crowd realised that you guys were coming back into it through predominantly through Anya's bowling spell, could you could you really feel that? And were you feeding off it? Yeah, you could. Uh, to be honest, I was so focused on the game, I didn't really let myself take the crowd in too much. Um, it's the hardest time I've ever had communicating with players on the pitch. Yeah. Trying to get people's <laughs> attention was an absolute nightmare. Yeah. Um, I was very hoarse by the end of it. <laughs> but um, the crowd was unbelievable. It was sort of when you took wickets that you kind of realised how many people were there. The, the sort of roar that erupted um, was just crazy, really. And, and the way it happened was so dramatic. It started raining at one point as well. Yeah. And I was thinking, God, if we're going to have to go off, I don't know how I'm going to cope. Um <laughs> But then we just suddenly got on a roll. I, I never actually thought we were out of the game. I thought it was slipping yeah. away from us a little bit. There was sort of a couple of moments that didn't quite go our way, I think, or a tight review, yeah. a dropped catch by me, um, sort yeah. of a few balls sort of missing fielders. And that's when I started to started to think, oh, it might not be our day here. But I immediately got rid of the thought and, and just tried to to impact the, the game as much as I could. And um, I was actually thinking really clearly. As a, as a captain, it was, it was slightly surreal, really. I knew how important each decision was because it was such a tight game and I knew how important my communication with the bowlers was and in a weird way that kind of gave me clarity and, and made sure I was uh, really clear on, on how I was going to do things. And uh, I think I, oh, I actually thought I'd made a mistake bringing Anya on because her first two balls went for four. Yeah, um, that's right. So yeah. I thought I made a mistake here. I should have gone for Bunty, who... I was going to hopefully bring back in a couple of overs. Um, and then she took a wicket and suddenly she's got on this roll and uh, she had a, a look in her eyes and she was charging back to her mark like she was going to do the job for us. So, um, yeah, the, the rest is history, I guess. Is that your best captaincy day, do you think? Um, I guess with the enormity of the occasion and the pressure that was surrounding it and the amount of people that were there that we obviously weren't used to as a side, I think. Um, probably, yeah, I, I didn't contribute much with bat and ball, so, um, yeah, to try and contribute in, in some other way, I guess. Um, but no, I, I, it was all Anya that, that did, obviously, what she did and, and swung the game in our favour. And um, she'd actually really struggled in the tournament and um, Robert had done a brilliant job getting her back to, to where she was in that final and being able to, to win us again. Yeah. Can you picture 26,000 at Lords and then probably times it by three to four times at the MCG? Does playing in that Lords final f- almost prepare you for potentially playing at a jam-packed MCG on, on March 8? Uh, maybe. Obviously, um, I'd love to be there and love to be there with the team. Um, I think it would give us, if we did make it, it would give us some sort of experience of uh, being in that situation, having so many people there and, and the enormity of a World Cup final. But I think a lot of teams now have, have played massive games like that and played in front of big crowds. So I think the way the women's game has, has changed since 2017, a lot of the teams have, have kind of experienced that. Um, but every team will, will want to be a part of that day. Um, and it doesn't even... They're thinking about 90,000 people. I couldn't even... Um, get the attention of someone two metres away yeah. from me at, at Lords when there was 26,000. So, yeah, um, yeah I, I hope they do 
reach their goal and able to sell out the M- MCG. And um, like I said, I never thought it would happen with Lords. So um, yeah, I'm not gonna gonna say that with this. And um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see Katie Perry there as well. I think that's a brilliant move. And <laughs> hopefully, people come out and, and support um, what's set to be a brilliant day. Um, you mentioned that there's been lots of changes since 2017. There's been another big one within the England setup as well post the um, last year's Ashes series. Uh, there was a decision made by the hierarchy at the ECB to replace Mark Robinson as the coach. Um, Lisa Kitely comes in as coach, so the Australian, the, the arch enemy comes in. Um, you've, you've gone through, and it's it's still such a short space of time, Heather, when I sort of look back at 2016, I mean, you can say four years feels like a long time for some people, but so much has gone on in, in that in that space of time. Um, a change of coach so close to a major event, um, does that add more, uh, more, more of a role, I guess, for you in trying to, to manage things, particularly with a coach coming in from overseas? Yeah, I think a little bit, uh, obviously with the recent trip to Malaysia before Christmas, um, Lisa was, was there towards the back end of the trip, but she was very much sort of in the background. So naturally, um, alongside Ali Maiden, who was the sort of interim coach for that tour, I definitely tried to take a bit more of a lead and um, following on from the Ashes, it was such a obviously big disappointment for us as a side. Um, but I, I guess the way that it happened and, and how... Uh, it couldn't have got any worse, to be honest. It, it gave us a real chance to rebuild from that. It almost felt yeah. like, right, this is this is rock bottom. This is um, where we're at. How are we going to reshape things? How are we going to change yeah. things? Um, and how are we going to build leading up to that T20 World Cup? And obviously this, the decision was made about Mark. Um, and, and I think Mark had, had done so much for us as a side as well. Yeah. It felt like the right time to have a bit of a complete shift um, as a team and I think Lisa's going to be brilliant and um, you say that she's the arch enemy but she um, probably knows a lot of us, a lot of the England players better than she does yeah, <laughs> from us stint back um, managing the England Academy sort of uh, five, six years ago I think it was so um, she knew and worked with a lot of the players from that period a lot of the younger players um, back then have, have now sort of become regulars in this team and she's obviously worked with a lot of the English players in Western Australia and Perth as well I think five of our players have played up there under her yeah. and they know her and she, she knows them very well so um, yeah it's, it's been quite a smooth transition I think and she knows a lot about the English system and, and how things work so um, yeah it's been brilliant having her come in and and obviously do do things in her way um, and me as well working with Lisa I've knew her quite well when she was here in England and we had a very good relationship so it's, it's just sort of felt like that continuing again although obviously slightly uh, well, a very different role to to sort of how we were back then but um, yeah I'm really excited to to be working with her and see what we can do out in Australia she's obviously got that extra knowledge being Australian as well which is great. What excites you most about this this World Cup particularly let's start with the, the England squad and, and team themselves? Oh, well, lots of things, I think. I think Australia's a brilliant place to play cricket. It's a place I've played a lot of cricket. I've been there the last sort of six Australian summers playing either international or um, kind of big bash domestic cricket. Um, so it's a, an awesome place to play cricket and the momentum over there is built massively. Um, 
the support the the girls and the the big bash competition gets now is so different to when I used to tour yeah. Australia um, sort of early in my career as an international. There was literally empty stadiums, um, and now it's it's just gained real momentum there, and, and people follow it and love watching it. Um, but I think what excites me the most is um, the girls get and our team going into this competition. We've made sort of a lot of changes sort of off the back of a very disappointing summer and we've really built as a side, I think. Um, you never really know how it's going to go until you're obviously there, but um, we've got some real world-class players that are, have been playing brilliantly and, and um, have scored big runs out in Australia and, and obviously in, in international cricket recently. So, um, yeah, seeing how we go as a side, I think, is my most exciting thing. Uh, it's the one question I finish off with with everyone. Um, a packed MCG on March 8, International Women's Day. What would it mean to you to to play in front of or to watch um, two teams go about it in front of you know 100,000 people? It's a part of history, isn't it? It's like that 2017 final. It felt like a part of history. Yeah. It's a packed out MCG. Um, it'll be another amazing day for women's cricket. Um, and obviously I'd love to be there, but um, I think it'd be... A, brilliant occasion whoever is there for the sport um and yeah hopefully i can be there leading out the team trev sweetheart heather knight thank you so much for joining <laughs> us on road to the t20 world cup uh really appreciate it and uh enjoy your time in spain in preparation for the upcoming world cup nice one thanks Matt.